If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. I want to welcome everybody to our Bellingham campus and also want to give a very special welcome to our Ferndale campus. We're so glad that they're joining us. Also want to lay out just a very special welcome to all of the returning Western Whatcom, Bellingham Technical Institute, and Northwest Indian College students. We are so glad that you're here as well. This is the last week of our vision series. Next week, we're going to start a brand new series called Lies. It's not a series about how to be a better liar, just so we're clear, all right? It's not a series about 12 easy steps to becoming a more honest person. That would be way too bumper sticker for Christ the King. This series is about the tragedy that happens inside of our hearts when the enemy of our souls lies to us and we actually buy it. We buy the lie and it warps the perspective that we have of God. It twists the truth and we end up in really, really, really deep spiritual weeds. So I'm a little freaked out about the series. It's been working inside of my heart for a long time. I hope you'll pray and you'll join us for that as well. As we wrap up this vision series, let's start with this thought, okay? The thought is this. Life is filled with very natural progressions. I mean, just think about it for a second. You have to crawl before you can walk. You got to walk before you can run. And you have to run before you can drive. Thank you, Jesus. That's how it works, right? I mean, think about life. You have to cultivate before you plant. You've got to plant before something can grow. And you've got to grow. Something's got to grow before you can actually harvest it. If you think of this in, in E terms, it goes like this. You have to log on before you talk, talk before you relate, relate before you email, email before you Facebook, Facebook before you Twitter, and Twitter before you end up as a person that can't talk, relate, or connect to any other person, unless, of course, you're using your fingers. That's just weird, right? My relationship with my wife had a natural progression. I saw her at college, and I thought to myself, she is hot, right? <laughs> I saw her at college, and I just started hanging around her, which was kind of like stalking, but in, in a different sort of a way, I think. She thought I was pursuing her roommate, and she was wrong. So I asked her out. I asked her to go to a hockey game with me, because I had no game whatsoever, all right? I mean, it wasn't romantic. Our first meal together was at McDonald's. I'm so sorry about that, you know? Started dating. We started getting serious. I, I took the next step. I thought that I should say that I loved her, so I did. And the first time I told Laurel I loved her, she said, thank you. <laughs> it's not the response I was looking for. We dated some more, we broke up because I was an idiot. We got back together, we broke up again. I'm still sorry for that. I, I, we, you know, we got back together, I eventually proposed to her and then we got married. We got married and then we became intimate. Notice the order there. You got that, right? We got married, then intimacy, then we had kids, and, and then 20 years just disappeared, just like that. You know what? Even though 20 years has gone by, she's still hot. It's good, right? <laughs> there was a natural progression to our relationship, but I want to just put a spin on it for right now because I want you to notice something. When it comes to the godly vision God has for your life, there is no natural progression. I mean, God just doesn't download a vision for your life with 16 easy steps so that you can be all that you can be in Jesus' name. It just doesn't work that way. Let me show you what I mean. In 1 Samuel, God gives a priest named Samuel a vision to find a new king for Israel. Now we need to know something. Israel already has a king. 
a king by the name of Saul. But Saul's an idiot, truthfully. He just is. God has now rejected him as the leader of, the, of Israel. And Samuel the prophet, he's just bummed out because Saul blew his opportunity to do things God's way. And this is what happens when God gives Samuel what I call a vision of royalty, all right? Scripture says this in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel gets a vision for a brand new king. And then he gets some marching orders, and off he goes. He goes to Bethlehem to a guy named Jesse's house, shows up in his house, and asks, can I see your boys? Jesse parades out the, the long line of boys, and this is what happens in 1 Samuel 16. The Bible says this. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? This is, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's uh, still tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Can you just imagine with me for a second what David's response must have been when all of a sudden he's being anointed in Middle Eastern fashion and set aside as king? I mean, I can just see this kid going, king me, right? This is good right now. I mean, one second he's hanging out with sheep, and the next second he's being handed the keys to a kingdom. I mean, it's, it's kind of a modern-day equivalent of this. One day you're working at the Quick Lube, and all of a sudden, you're the king of the United States. All of a sudden, you are completely in charge. I mean, I don't know about you, but it would be a good day, any day would be a good day to be named king. I don't know what happened in David's brain at the moment that he was set aside as king, but if it was me in my brain, I'd be thinking, bring on the crown, measure me for the robe, order a throne. I mean, this is awesome. I would have been looking at my brothers going, ha off with your heads, right? <laughs> We're going to get even right now, right? Suddenly, David has a vision for royalty. He sees nothing but smooth sailing between his present location and where he's going to ultimately end up, which is with the throne. Where does David end up right after he's anointed king? Back with the sheep. Whoa. What's up with that, right? He's told, you're going to be the king, but... Sorry, dude, you got to go back and look after sheep for a while. We'll let you know when this is all going to come together. And we learn a little lesson here. I think it's important for all of us. It's in your outline, and it goes like this. Between vision and the fulfillment of a vision is a little thing called reality, right? God gives vision to people, but very, very rarely is it ever fulfilled instantaneously. I mean, God gave me a vision years ago to be involved in professional ministry, but in between that vision and its fulfillment were a whole bunch of things. Relationship, school, learning answers, the school of hard knocks. I mean, all of that stuff was in between. Christ the King has a vision to become a fully forged church, a church that lives out its vision through family, outreach, recovery, groups, engaging in discipleship. I mean, that is our vision, and we're working on it. It's not a reality. 
This is something we're working on every single day, every single week. We're pursuing what God has laid out in front of us in this present reality, which begs the question, what are you supposed to do between the time when God gives you a vision and the fulfillment of that vision? I mean, what are you supposed to be up to in the meantime and in the in-between time? Let's take a look at what David did between his anointing his king and the time when he actually became king. Because I put it this way, David was going to school. He was going to school the entire time. And let's start with this statement. Between God's original vision and its fulfillment, David attended the school. Here's the first one, the school of fear and boldness. Classic story of David and Goliath is amazing. Israel is in conflict with their arch nemesis. The USC Trojans, right? <laughs> nah, they weren't so tough, were they, right? Okay. Israel's arch nemesis, the Philistines. The Philistines have a warrior named Goliath. He comes out every single day and he taunts the nation of Israel. Here's what Goliath says, 1 Samuel 17. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Nobody accepts the offer because they're freaking out. I mean, I can hear them back at camp, right? I'm not going to fight him. You go fight him. I'm not going to fight him. You go and fight him. Day after day, this giant of a man keeps coming out, and he taunts the nation of Israel saying, don't you have anybody that wants to fight? He keeps inviting him to the octagon if you're into ultimate fighting. Nobody shows up until David shows up. Bible says, 1 Samuel 17, David said to Saul, Almost king talking to the present king. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David's a tough little guy, right? I kind of picture him like ultimate fighter Chuck Liddell. You know who Chuck Liddell, you know, you got the picture in your brain, right? I just want to go on record saying this, pet peeve of this. The fact that Chuck Liddell, an ultimate fighting champion, is on Dancing with the Stars... It's just wrong. That's sin. Shouldn't be happening, all right? Just my opinion. Okay, so you don't know who Chuck Lydell is? Don't worry about it. We can talk about it later. But David is a tough little guy. Comes to Saul. Nobody else wants to fight him. I'll fight him. And he rallies up his faith, takes a slingshot, and here's what happens. David goes marching out on the battlefield, 1 Samuel 17, and says this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I love David. David's got courage. David actually speaks his mind. He's a little guy, but he walks out there. You think you're this big giant? You think you're so hot? Here's what you don't understand, Mr. Nine Feet Tall. You come with a sword and a spear. I came in the name of God Almighty. And if you think you're big stuff, you ain't seen nothing compared to my God. I like David. I like David. Following a godly vision takes courage. It demands faith. I am positive that David had something down in the bottom of his human heart going, what am I doing? I've got a slingshot. He's huge. 
but his fear is eclipsed by a faith in God, a godly vision that pushes him into action. David knew he was going to be king. You can't be king if you're dead. So he steps out in faith. I believe David learned a great lesson here. The lesson learned is this. Godly vision sees the size of God's promise, not the size of the obstacle. You get that? Godly vision sees the size of God's promise, not the size of the obstacle. My friend, can I ask you a question? If God really is for you, who can be against you? If God is behind the vision He's given for your life, who can come against that vision and stop you from reaching it? The Bible says, I'm going to remind you again, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Do we believe that? Do we live that? Do we understand that? Just in case you don't know the end of the story, the giant goes down. David graduates from this school and he takes a giant step forward, literally, on his path to be king. So David gets to be king now, right? No, not even close. He goes back to the castle to report into King Saul and David gets enrolled immediately in another school. This is the school of dealing with difficult people. It's a tough one. I can imagine there was some tension between the man who is king and the man who would be king. I mean, Saul, it's a heartbreaking story. He's disobeyed God. God has taken his hand off of him. He's alone. He knows about the anointing. He knew that something was going on with David. He knew at some level that David was the chosen one. And this is what happens in 1 Samuel 19. The Bible says this. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with the spear. But David eluded him. As Saul drove the spear into the wall, that night David made good his escape. <laughs> you think, right? The king's trying to kill him. David knows suddenly, apparently, the road to the throne was going to be a little bumpy. Suddenly, David's vision encounters a human problem. You see it all through Scripture, right? Adam and Eve run into a problem with a snake. Noah ran into a, a problem with a group of people who came against his vision by lining up outside of the boat and laughing at him every day of construction. Nehemiah had his detractors show up. What in the world are you doing? You're building a wall? If a fox jumped on top of it, it would collapse. Are you kidding me, Nehemiah? He's got his detractors and his critics. Nehemiah had his critics. David had his Saul. And they all learn a lesson that I think Scripture teaches us, which goes like this. Godly vision always encounters resistance. Always encounters resistance. If you're pursuing a godly vision for your life, you should expect to encounter resistance. In fact, if you're pursuing a godly vision and you're not experiencing resistance, you may want to go back and recheck whether or not it's really a godly vision or not. I mean, the enemy can't stand when God's people move ahead with godly vision. He will do anything he can to discourage you, distract you, or destroy you. I mean, I'm not the kind of person that believes that there's a demon behind every rock. I don't believe there's evil intent behind everything that happens in the world today. But we saw an example of this last weekend. We opened the Ferndale campus. Christ the King has a godly vision for putting a church in Ferndale. Hi, Ferndale. We're so glad that you're here. We're getting ready to do the service out there, and we get a phone call from the Bellingham campus. 
And Zach's on the phone, and he's trying really, really hard to, to troubleshoot because our lighting system malfunctioned last week at the 8.30 service. They did the whole first part of the service in the dark. Nothing but silhouettes up at the front, right? Pastor Brian's up here trying to preach. He walks out. He goes, I'm not Grant, okay? I mean, he's trying to clue people in as he's going along. As I'm standing there watching Zach try to troubleshoot, I'm thinking in my heart, what did we expect? What did we expect? Godly vision always encounters resistance. And this happened to David. So you think he graduates from this school and you think now he gets to be king, right? Now he gets to be king, right? Not yet. David has to go to another school. It's known as the school of humility. 1 Samuel 22 says this, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Cave school's tough, isn't it? Cave school is where the doubts settle in. Cave school is where the questions start. Did I hear God right in the first place? Has he forgotten me? I mean, just put yourself in David's shoes just for a second. He's in the cave. Wouldn't you be thinking, I thought I was supposed to be in a throne room. I'm living in a cave. I wonder if he questioned maybe his vision was wrong. Have you ever been there? I mean, you're following God. You're doing everything that you think you're supposed to be doing. You've been obedient, and suddenly it just goes terribly, terribly wrong. I mean, I wish I had a nice pastoral answer to you as to why that kind of stuff happens, but the truth is I don't know. Someday I hope we all get a chance to ask Jesus and he'll explain it to us. I don't have an answer, but I can tell you firsthand, I know exactly what it feels like to be in a cave. I know what it feels like to be there with the questions and the anger and the frustration. And when you're there, you don't have much of a choice except to make a decision that you're going to learn while you're there. What can you learn in a cave? I believe David learned this lesson. It's this. Godly vision is tested in adversity. This is where godly vision is really worked out. Christ the King has always had a vision to reach this county for Jesus, but six years ago, we ended up in a cave, didn't we? We ended up deep inside of a cave because six years ago, this church got robbed. We were tested. It was not pretty. We were in a cave. We were under fire. And if you were here, you remember, it was scary. God took us to school. God taught us some lessons in the cave of adversity. God taught us that a church should never be based on a human. It should always be based on Jesus and Jesus alone. He taught us that if we dared pray and wait, that he would answer he taught us that he loves Whatcom County more than we ever possibly could. He taught us that if we could just somehow learn to stay out of his way and hide ourselves as small as we could behind the cross, we learned that no matter what was going on around us, that he would build his church and that the gates of hell could not prevail against it. That's what we learned. Adversity made us stronger. David is living in a cave. It's not a good place. It's not a happy place, but he's learning. Someday I'm going to be king. And when I'm king, I'm not going to forget what it felt like to be in a cave. 
adversity made David stronger. And you'd think after he got out of the cave, you'd think at that point he got to be king, right? Not yet. He's got one more school to go to. I call this the school of obedience and discernment. This is what happens. King Saul is still out chasing David from cave to cave. One day, the Bible tells us Saul actually goes into a cave to relieve himself. Don't giggle, it's in the Bible, okay? It actually says that, right? What Saul doesn't know is that David and his men are actually hiding in the cave, watching him do his thing, right? Awkward, right? A couple hundred people just watching you. Some of David's men come to David and they say, David, this is your chance. God put him right in front of you. Take out your spirit and stick him. And this is all over. We're not going to have to run anymore. We're not going to have to hide in any more caves. We go straight to the throne room from here. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. It's straight to the throne room from here, David. Let's do this together. David knows a few things. David has a promise that God said, someday you're going to be king. And in that moment, David's got to trust God's timing and his placement. David also knows that there's a law sitting on top of his decision in that cave. The law was something we learned about during the Ten Commandments series, which is very, very clear about what David should or shouldn't do in this moment. You shall not murder. So David let Saul go. I'm sure some of his men were going, what in the world are you doing? David lets Saul go. He actually lets him walk out of the cave. Then David shows up at the entrance of the cave and goes, excuse me, King Saul, before you disappear, this is what he says in 1 Samuel 24. This day you've seen with your eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. Even though it's right there in front of him, David obeys. What's the lesson? Oh, we need to get this one. We need to get this one. The lesson is this. Godly vision is always in alignment with God's truth. Always. If you believe God's vision for your life is to rob from the rich and give to the poor, then I would encourage you to check out the commandment about stealing before you go ahead and execute that vision. If you believe God's vision for your life is to become a business mogul, that leaves a body count trailing behind you as you climb the corporate ladder of success, I would encourage you to open your Bible and read the Sermon on the Mount and see what God has to say about humble peacemakers. If you believe God's vision for your life is to shack up with your girlfriend and just kind of give it a try, you may want to read God's standards about marriage and commitment before you go ahead with that vision. Let me put it to you as bluntly as I can. If your vision does not align with Scripture, your vision did not come from God. Let me try that again. If your vision does not align with Scripture, your vision, no matter how you can justify it, did not come from God. They are always consistent. They are always together. They are always in alignment. David gets to be king now, right? Yeah, he does. 
he does. Here's the fulfillment of the vision. It comes out of Scripture. David gets half of a kingdom to start with. 2 Samuel 2 verse 4 says this, Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Israel has been divided into two parts. He gets Judah first, and then actually has an opportunity to kind of feel the whole kingly robe thing going on. And then the rest of it happens. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 4. The Bible says David was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned 40 years. Do you see the separation? David's anointed as king as a, as a very, very young man. Maybe even a child in some of our worlds. Years later, years later, all kinds of preparation, all kinds of trials, all kinds of hurt, then he finally gets to see the vision fulfilled. What was he doing in the meantime? He was going to school. Christ the King, I believe many of you have been given a vision of God, by God and for God, about what it is you're supposed to be doing with your life. And now you're in the meantime. You're in the in-between time. Don't waste this season. Don't waste it. Waiting time is never wasting time in God's kingdom. It's never. It's a time when you can learn. It's a time when God is preparing you for what he has for you out in the future. I mean, I just freak out to think of what would have happened if I just would have dove into ministry with, with no preparation time, no, no, none of those rough edges ever having an opportunity to get, to get knocked off. God uses those moments to truly help us refine what that vision is for our life. So if you're kind of stuck in the middle right now, here's what I'm imploring you to do. Go to school. Learn everything you can. Experiment. Try. Do a different ministry. Take a different class. Enter into, into friendships and relationships that are going to push you towards Jesus. Ask the hard questions while God is making the perfect time ready for the fulfillment of that vision. A couple more questions, Christ the King. Do you know God's vision for your life? Could you articulate it? If you can't, don't be ashamed. Go to school. Enroll yourself in whatever it is that God would have for you so that you can clearly and succinctly articulate, I believe this is what God has called me to do. If you say, I don't have any idea where to start, start with this. The Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. If you don't know what to do, do that. Reach out to a neighbor. Reach out to a friend. Just tell somebody about Jesus. That's a step towards a godly vision. Like I articulated it this way in your outline. How do I get started in finding God's vision for my life? Just do something. Just do something. Take a step of faith. Pick up a slingshot and go try to fight a giant. Your prayer life will go to a whole new place. <laughs> Don't just put up with a difficult person in your life. Live out Romans 12, 18. As far as it depends on you, 
Live at peace with everybody. You go, where do I start with that one? Pray for them. Pray that God will change your heart towards them. Pray that God will give you an opportunity to share Jesus with them. What an incredible gift to be able to offer somebody that doesn't deserve it the same grace that Jesus extended to you. I mean, there's all kinds of schools, right? Maybe you're stuck in fear and boldness right now, and you're just trying to summon up the courage to go out there one more week and try. David did. You'd be in great company. Maybe you need to go to the school of dealing with difficult people. Maybe you're in the school of humility right now. If that one hurts really bad, can I just encourage you? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's a good school. It's a good school. How about the school of obedience and discernment? God has asked us as a church to not rest until 193,000 people in this county know Jesus personally. Let's do that. That is a godly vision. That, that's a nine-foot giant-sized vision right there. We would need Jesus' help to accomplish that, wouldn't we? He wants us to do that. Your program today is filled with opportunities, whether you're at the Bellingham campus or you're at the Ferndale campus. Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to take a step of faith. Learn something you don't know. Crystallize the vision that God has put in your life and then move beyond good intentions and actually act on it. Whatever school God has you in, it's a good school. Can I just personally share from my own heart what school God's got me in right now? It's the school of faith. I don't take risks naturally. I have to take steps and risks of faith as a matter of discipline. I am dreaming bigger than I've ever dreamed before. I believe in the bottom of my gut that we can actually accomplish the vision of seeing Whatcom County reached for Jesus. I believe it can happen. If I didn't believe it could happen, I might as well just go home. Like just pack it in, come here, give you a bunch of easy believism stuff that you can just cruise through the week, slap each other a high five. Let's just be happy. Let's just do our own thing. Let's not worry about anybody else's eternal destiny. Let's just kind of lock it in, enjoy the four or 5,000 people that, that kind of hang around this place. Let's just do that. Let's put it in cruise control and just kind of enjoy it till we hit the beach. No. In Jesus' name, no. There is so much riding on this. And the same God who took David by the hand and said, you just come with me. I'm going to take out a giant and I'm going to use you. I'm going to stick you in a cave so that when you're king, you'll remember what it means to be humble, David. I'm going to have you deal with somebody who just seems to be off. And I'm going to teach you to love him. 
I'm going to teach you the Word of God so that you know my law inside out and backwards. Whenever you have a question, you'll respond God's way. Whatever God's vision is for your life right here and right now, the same God who made David king is the author of that vision. No matter how crazy it seems, just do something. Would you pray with me as we close? God, thank you for David's life. Thank you that he was not perfect. Thank you that he had more questions than he had answers. Thank you that you sent him to caves to learn humility. Thank you for sending him up against giants to give us hope and faith that we can defeat any obstacle that's going to be in our way this coming week. God, would you help us to willfully enroll in the schools that you have for us this year? God, we pray that our visions would become reality in Jesus' name. But God, we can't do that unless you help us. So right here and right now, would you give us the courage to believe that the God who wrote a vision for life on our hearts can do exceedingly, abundantly above all we could ask or even imagine. Jesus, we love you today as the God of David, the God of Noah, the God of Nehemiah, the God of Christ the King. Would you make our vision of reaching this county in your name a reality, and we will give you all of the praise and all of the glory. And it is in your good name that we pray. Amen.